How many of you know putting up with mom is tough? <laughs> Some of you are like, immediately, yes, there's my chance. Uh, motherhood is difficult, and without Christ, it's impossible. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so to be the mother we need to be, or to be the wife we need to be, Christ is our only hope for these things. How many of you know wishing you could be a mother more than anything else, and you're not been graced that is tough as well it's tough i think today about mothers who may be at a point that they want to quit there may be mothers who are tired of their children's disobedience there may be mothers who lack a husband who's a spiritual leader we've already noted mothers who've buried children and there may be women who wish more than anything else that they had children and so how can the lord encourage us I hope you'll turn to Hebrews 12. Uh, we want to be encouraged in Christ Jesus today, and we're going to get to Hebrews 12 in a moment. But uh, my concern is that we have some others who want to stop running. The author of Hebrews is writing to folks, and he chastises them earlier in the book, in chapter 5, to say that you should be further along. But something has impeded this. And in chapter 10, he's worried that they will shrink back. In verse 36, he says... You have need of endurance. He's worried in 35 that they're going to throw away their confidence and that they're going to stop running. And Hebrews 11 and 12 are very familiar to us. I've obviously preached through them before. And in Hebrews 12, if you go past the familiar verses, most of us are familiar with just 1 through 3, but you move on into 12, and it's about endurance. It's about perseverance. And so one of the things that uh, I come today with a burden is that we might have some moms who just want to quit. I was gripped a few weeks ago by a mother who, uh, living in New York, loaded her children into a minivan, ages 5, 2, and 11 months, and then drove off a boat ramp into the Hudson River, uh, killing herself and the children. And there's some discrepancy. A 10-year-old survived, and there's some discrepancy that she let him out before she drove in. Uh, but the other version of the story is that he got out once she drove in, and uh, was able to get out a window, but was not able to get any of the siblings out. And he told the story that she, she drove in and, and then tried to put it in reverse. And it took divers an, an hour or so to find the minivan submerged in 10 feet of water, about 25 yards from where she went in. And all of them were dead, the mother, the 5-year-old, the 2-month-old, and the 11-month-old. What causes a mother to do this? What causes a mother to get to this point? What causes her to give up and take her children with her? This is the world we live in. And I know on Mother's Day you would say, well, this isn't a very cheerful opening illustration, Pastor. This is the world we live in. And if you think these mothers are only outside the church, friend, you are deceived. Inside the church, I'm guessing there are mothers that sometimes quit and may even have some of these worst of thoughts. And today, they need to be reminded, look to Christ. Look to Christ. There are other mothers that we're familiar with. How many of you have ever heard of Lois and Eunice in the Bible? How many of you know which one was the grandmother and which one was the mother? How many of you, would, how many of you know, was Lois the grandmother or the mother? Raise your hand. You think Lois is the grandmother? Raise your hand. You think Lois is the mother? Raise your hand. How many of you don't know? Good. Lois is the grandmother. All right, Eunice is the mother. Who's the child and grandchild? Anyone remember? Timothy. But you'll remember something about Eunice, Timothy's mother. Her husband was what? 
He was a Greek. He wasn't a believer. So you have Eunice who's raising a child in a home that doesn't have a godly husband. Raising him in a home that doesn't have a spiritual leader. And of course, 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15. Here's what Paul writes to Timothy, and he says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Well, who taught Timothy the sacred writings? Anyone? It wasn't his dad, was it? It was his mom and his grandmother. And he says that these scriptures, these sacred writings, Timothy, they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You have one mom who took her children and drove off in a river. You have another mom who didn't have a husband who was a spiritual leader, and yet somehow she was faithful. And I know on certain Mother's Day uh, Sundays, this passage is one that's shared, Eunice and Lois. And, but I also know that sometimes this passage could probably beat us up more than encourage us, couldn't it? Because some of us perhaps are bitter that our husband is not a believer or a strong biblical leader. So as we look at Eunice and Lois, we're, we're more bitter uh, about the situation that they did well, that they obeyed. We also perhaps can look at it and be built up because maybe we're not teaching our kids the word as often as we should. Maybe as we look back and we think about the times that we had and we can become convicted. Or perhaps some of us are just bitter. Our son didn't turn out like Timothy. Perhaps some of us are upset of how it seems our children are making decisions. And so sometimes Eunice and Lois that we would say, here's a great example. Sometimes it can be more discouraging than encouraging. In all of that, we have mothers across the board in this room. We have fathers across the board in this room. We have folks who wish they were mothers or fathers. And the answer for all of us in this room is Jesus. And so I want us to turn to Hebrews 12. And I want you to stand with me. And we're going to read verses 1 through 3. And we're praying for moms who look to Jesus. Praying for moms who look to Jesus. In Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such a hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted." Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the opportunity to study it. God, we beg you for moms who will look to Jesus and be sustained to keep running. If there are moms in this room today that are thinking of quitting, Father, fill them uh, with Jesus. May they see him and may he grip their hearts and may he encourage them and strengthen them. Father, if there are mothers who are bitter, mothers who are frustrated, if there are ladies who want more than anything else to be a mother, In all of these, would you help us to look to Jesus, to find all we need to keep running. May we be satisfied in him above all. And may our children learn that from us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. As you sit down, I want you to turn to Proverbs, because before we launch into Hebrews 12, I actually want to do two expositions today, because that would be fun. Proverbs chapter 1, I want you to see the ideal family. How many of you have dreamed forever of having the ideal family? How many of you you have arrived at the ideal family? Is anyone there? Tim and Lynn, all right. We're going to take notes, all right? So the ideal family, you're going to see it in Proverbs 1. And I put some notes there for you. 
But I want to give you a couple things as we think about what is our home supposed to be like. And in the ideal home, first of all, there's both a father and a mother, all right? Beginning in verse 7 of Proverbs 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So as we take just a moment in these three verses, we begin with what's the ideal home supposed to look like? And in the ideal home, there's a father and a mother. So in the ideal home, there is a father and a Good, making sure you're listening. Now, pop quiz. Who created marriage? Good, very good. Hollywood didn't create marriage. Uh, E-Harmony didn't create marriage, right? We go all the way back to the beginning. And Adam was alone. And, you know, as any man, he was dumb and didn't realize that he was alone. And so God brought all the animals in front of him. Rin Tin Tin had a partner. Lassie had a partner. Shemu had a partner, you know. And Adam's like, where's my partner? God's like, exactly, you know. And so he knocks him out, takes a rib, and makes a woman. And when Adam wakes up, he's like, woman, you know. And so, and that's how we got the word woman. So he he sees her. (laughs) So he sees her, and he's stunned, right? Well, God says later in chapter 2, he says this, A man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So because God created marriage, friends, God gets to say what marriage is. And in the very first place, God says marriage is one man and one woman. It is not a father and a father. It is not a mother and a mother. It is a father and a mother. This is the ideal home. This is the biblical home. Now, I want to stop. And I'm not saying that a single person should not adopt and become a parent. I'm not saying that. There are some single folks who will adopt and have a burden. And I'm not saying that. I'm just pointing out that God's ideal for the home is a father and a mother who have different but equal responsibilities. Mothers were never intended to be fathers, and fathers were never intended to be mothers. And sometimes we see, particularly in cases where there's separation, one parent trying to be both parents, and they were never intended to be that. So what typically disrupts the ideal home of a father and mother, in one instance, it's death. And remember, who created marriage? Go back. Who created it? So he says it's a man and a woman. And here's the second thing that God says about marriage. It's forever. It's forever, right? So the only thing that should separate us is death. And so uh, we know, Tara and I learned of a couple last week, you know, in their 20s, went to bed one night, and the next morning the husband was dead, just died in his sleep, a young man in his 20s. That disrupts the idea of home and is going to be difficult for that young bride and that young mother. Christ is sufficient, though. Christ is sufficient. But more than anything else, in our day, it's not so much death that's disrupting the ideal home, is it? As much as divorce. As much as folks that are leaving. I don't understand what irreconcilable differences are if you have Christ Jesus in your heart. I don't understand how we're not quick to forgive if we've been forgiven much. And so divorce causes a separation. And man separates what God puts together. just want to say from the very beginning, in the ideal home, there's a father and a mother. And they're there through the long haul of it. We see further in Proverbs, there is both a father and a mother who teach. Look at what it says in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's, what's the word there? Instruction. And forsake not your mother's, what? Teaching. The family is God's basic school. Did you know that? It is God's basic school for instructing children how to live in the world. Here's what one other pastor said. God ordained the family not just to be fruitful and fill the earth with people, but to fill the earth with instructed and taught people. 
The family is the place where the next generation is born and where the next generation learns how to live. I love, he says this, the author does not say fathers instruct and mothers change diapers. That's not what it says, does it? It doesn't say that. It does not say fathers work at the office and have no responsibility to teach your children. It doesn't say that, does it? Nor does it say mothers work at the office and turn the responsibility of teaching completely over to a caregiver. It says fathers instruct and mothers teach. They share this responsibility. So in the ideal biblical home, you have a father and you have a mother, and both of them teach. Not one, not the other, both. They have responsibilities. And sometimes we're in homes where the father doesn't teach because he's too busy doing other stuff. Or the mom doesn't teach because she's too busy doing other things. Both of these are to be teaching. The question is, what do we teach? I'm so glad you asked that. Who asked that? Thank you. Good. Thank you for asking that. We see further in the ideal home, there's both a father and a mother who teach the fear of the Lord. Look in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You can tell your children that the next time they disobey you. Fool! Right? All right. See how that goes over. And then OCS will come and knock on your door. Right. So we want to know the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. So the family isn't just a place where children learn to hold spoons and walk on two feet and say please and tie shoes. I learned that in fourth grade, by the way. Fourth grade is when I learned to tie my shoes. I've been honest and transparent before about that. It's just how it is. It's not just the place we learn to read and look both ways and cut grass and put on makeup and drive a car. The family is where all of this and more begins in God and is guided by God's word and is shown to be for the glory of God, the fear of God, the reverencing of God, the standing in awe of God, the trusting in God. That's what families are to teach. And mom and dad, that starts with us. There must be something that we are both equally teaching of this reverence for God, this fear of God. How many of you remember Deuteronomy 6? And we know what it's called. Do you know what it's called? Deuteronomy 6 is called the what? Shema. It's called the Shema. Let's say it. What's it called? Yerma. It's called the what? Shema. And the word Shema means to hear. What does Shema mean? So as it opens, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, right? So we get Shema from hearing. In Deuteronomy 6, it's going to go on and say the very first thing is, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's the very first thing moms and dads are to be united in, right? And then it's going to go on and say that as you walk along, teach these things. As you rise, teach these things. As you go to bed, teach these things. And there are incredible teaching moments if we would just turn off the rear entertainment system in the car every once in a while and have conversations when we're in the vehicle. How many of you know before there were rear entertainment systems, your mom and dad took full advantage of being in a car that you couldn't jump out of? Anyone? Those are great teaching times because they can't go anywhere, right? And so you want to take advantage. As you do life, teach. Arabella and I have had in the past what we call pancakes and Proverbs moments. You know, as you're there having breakfast, you teach, right? But Deuteronomy 6 will say, even if you're gone, that there should be a visual commitment to the word in your home that our kids know we love jesus we're pointing to jesus and so in the ideal home a father and a mother are pointing to jesus together they're beginning with the fear of the knowledge fear of the lord it's the beginning of knowledge and so as we're challenged to make disciples where do you think the first place moms and dads should start making disciples in our home with those that the lord has entrusted to us if we're not making them there we need to knock on someone else's door and trying to make disciples of them. The very first place we make disciples are with those that are in our home. So in the ideal home, there's a mother and a father. They both teach, and they both teach the fear of the Lord. Now, there's one more element to the ideal home I'll show you. In the ideal home, there are children who embrace and live out their parents' teaching. Amen? 
Amen. How many of you have got the idea at home, right? Yeah, kids are like, yes, mother, teach me more. Father, your words are glorious. Let me write that down again. What? Now, repeat that, right? Seventh graders that are just loving it, right? Facebooking. I love it. Look at all our youth. Their heads are down right there. I know they're taking notes, right? That's what you guys are doing? I hope so, because if you're playing with the phone, I'm going to break it. So, I'm sorry, was that too straight? Okay, so this is for you. This is your part, so pay attention right here. Here's what Proverbs is trying to tell you. Who was the wisest man who ever lived? Solomon. Though we doubt some of it when we see how he dated and married. We doubt some of the wisdom, right? But, in theory, Solomon is the wisest man. Listen to what the wisest man in the world says to you. Ready? Look at me. Look at me. All right, good. Thank you. All right, here we go. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Here's two things it says. Hear what your dad says. Don't shun what mama says, and it'll be bling bling for you around your head and your neck. That's what it's saying. It's going to guide you. The rough phrase of the Hebrew means it'll keep you from being stupid. That's what it means. All right, look at what it says. If you hear it and you don't shun it, you don't forsake it, it will be a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. I know this row of guys are like bling bling around my neck. I think about Mr. T, but that's, don't, don't neglect it. Here's what it's going. These two commands warn against what is most common, rebellion. Rebellion. And rebellion doesn't have to be taught. That comes from the womb. We're rebellious. And so what the wisest man in the world is trying to tell you is don't reject that. Maybe your mom and dad are struggling. And maybe they're not the best teachers. But we're trying to help equip them to be better. But regardless, you are to honor and obey your mother and father. And God says that this is a commandment that comes with a promise. It goes well with you. As we obey them in the Lord, it goes well. So if you're at home... Listen to your parents. Don't write off what they say just because they have no idea the difference between Facebook or MySpace. It doesn't mean they don't know what they're talking about from the Word. Just because they've never played Xbox Live and they still want to go back to Atari. It doesn't mean that they don't know what they're talking about. They know, and so you honor them by listening respectfully. When your mother teaches you right from wrong, you follow it, and then it's a reward. Here's why. Here's why. Proverbs is going to say this about the fear of the Lord. You see that in verse 9. They're a graceful garland and pendant for your neck. Here's why. Because if they're teaching you fear of the Lord, here's what Proverbs goes on to say. In the fear of the Lord, there's strong confidence. Proverbs 14, 26. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. Do you know, let me be very candid here. Not one time when I was in high school... Did I ever lay down and beg God that my girlfriend would not be pregnant? You know why? Because we weren't sleeping together. And you know why? Because I had a mother who was teaching me the word. And I had a Holy Spirit that was helping me to obey the word. And don't miss what he just said. When you live the word, you can sleep well. You can sleep well. You can be satisfied. It's those that are engaging in sin that life is just constant turmoil because of our disobedience. Hear what he's saying. When you listen to the teaching of mom and dad, here's what you get. The fountain of life, strong confidence, deep satisfaction. Now, if you don't want that, you are a fool. You are a fool. If you reject that. Something happened last week. I got fired up, I guess. Moms and dads, these teenagers desperately need to be taught to fear the Lord. And it starts with us. 
It starts with us. Well, I don't know about you, but my home isn't ideal yet. My home is still a daily struggle. I'm pastor, but I'm also parent. And my life is still a daily struggle with, am I going to choose sin or am I going to choose obedience? And so we have to ask the question of, what if my home doesn't match up with Proverbs 1? What if I'm not just a great teacher? What if I'm doing it by myself and my spouse isn't there? What if my children disrespect me and they're not obeying? What if I don't have an ideal home? Well, some of us are going to be tempted to quit and give up and quit running. That's why we have to go back to Hebrews 12 this morning and hear the word of the Lord. And I want to give you two reminders from Hebrews 12. And here's the first one. Your greatest problem is not your situation, but your sin. Your greatest problem as a mom is not your situation, but your sin. Our, our situations may be struggles, but our greatest struggles with sin. Here's what I mean. Children do not cause selfishness in us. They just merely reveal it. How many of you have ever heard a baby cry in the middle of the night and you're like, no. Anyone? Anyone ever had children get up before the sun gets up and you're like, no. Right? And then you pretend and you're like, she'll hear him. She'll hear him. She'll hear him. Come on. Come on. You know, and it, Right, all right, so, you know, my children didn't cause selfishness. They just revealed it in me. They have revealed it in me because sometimes I don't want to get up. Sometimes I don't want to bathe them, and I'm like, they only rolled in the mud for two hours. It'll be all right, right? Sometimes I don't want to feed them. Sometimes I don't want to wipe their behind, all right? And this is real today. Sometimes it's selfishness, but they didn't cause it. They reveal it. Our neighbor with the new jewelry doesn't cause envy in us. They just reveal it. They just reveal it. Our nosy buddy doesn't cause us to gossip, but provides an opportunity for us to engage the desire of our heart. See, friends, your greatest problem is not your lazy husband. It's not your disobedient kids. Your greatest problem will always be your own sin. Your own sin. I wonder if we are moms who spend more time praying God change them or God change me. You know, God may never change your husband. My mama was married to a man for 26 years that God didn't change in that time frame. It would be 35 years of praying before God moved in his heart. God may never change your children, mom and dad. And maybe it's not about changing them. Maybe it's about changing you. Remember when Elijah ran from Jezebel? And he goes to the cave and he's like, I'm the only one. You know, and God talks to him and says, go back the way you came. God didn't change anything about Elijah's circumstances. He just changed Elijah. So, Mama, maybe it's not always about changing them. Maybe it's about changing me. And here, look at what it says in verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. When we lay aside the weight, it's what's keeping me from running? What is the obstacle that's keeping me from running as I should be running in Christ? And we want to remove that obstacle. We want to put that hindrance to the side. We want to quit coming back to the same point over and over and over. If you were at the same point, I was talking to someone recently who keeps repeating a certain cycle. Look, if we, if we don't have accountability, if we're not memorizing scripture, if we're not praying and backing God, we're going to keep being at the same point. When will we be the ones that are tired of that same 
weight that is overcoming us. The idea here is a heavy weight. I know, look, I'm carrying a heavy weight. It's tough to run these days. And so here the idea is if you're carrying a heavy weight, you can't run as well as Christ wants you to run. And mama, Christ wants you to run well for him. So why don't we lay aside the weight? Or here, he says, lay aside the sin. And look at what it says about the sin, which clings so closely. How many of you found sin to cling very close? I find it. We're warned that it crouches at our door. Peter writes and says, it's going to wage war today. Sin never takes a day off, mama. Sin never takes a day off. So we should never take a day off in fighting sin. Well, how do we do that? How do we lay aside this sin? First of all, we pursue satisfaction in Christ so we're not pursuing satisfaction other places. When we pursue satisfaction in sin, it reveals we're not satisfied in Jesus. We're looking for it somewhere else. So the goal of every day when we wake up, the first thing and all through the day, mama and daddy, pursue satisfaction in Christ. Let him fill you up. Number two, by his spirit, kill sin. Don't make provision for it. If there are things that you're struggling with, find out how you got there and quit making provision for it. Find accountability. Find intentionality. And I've always said, if it's Oreos, don't put them in your pantry. Leave them at the store, whatever it is. If it's gossip and it's the same woman, well, don't go visit that woman, all right? If it's envy, quit looking at the jewelry. Look to Jesus. Whatever it is, find out what's causing a provision for the flesh. And Romans 8 says, put it to death by the Spirit. Lastly, beg God to root sin out of your heart. Beg God, change me. Change me. So, Mama, your greatest problem is not your situation, it's always going to be your own sin because it's going to affect how you're running. Sin keeps us from being the wives and mothers were called to be. But there's a big word as it begins, chapter 12, verse 1. What is the very first word? Therefore. Therefore, he goes on to say, since we're surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses. In chapter 11, he's listed all of these folks that have been so faithful in unbelievable circumstances. He even lists some who didn't have their children. They were sawn in two. They were beaten. They were put to death by the sword. He goes through and lists these. And so, Mama, one of the things that I would say to you today is, you are not the only one who's ever been here before. We become so inward focused that we forget there are tons of moms who've been here before. And so the good thing is we have these witnesses. We want to be reminded. And as we go back in the word, we're going to be encouraged. One that's not in the word, but one that I read about recently of a mom who faced difficult times. Uh, just recently, uh, she's a mother of a Navy SEAL that was killed in a firefight in Afghanistan. And she christened a warship bearing her son's name on Saturday, just yesterday. Uh, he was a leader of the U.S. Special Forces uh, who are the leader of this said that he would have been comforted by the events of this week. But her name is Maureen Murphy, and she was the mother of Lieutenant Michael Murphy. And in her christening of this boat, she said, Happy birthday, baby. Because on the day that she christened this Navy destroyer, it would have been her, her 35th birthday. You know, Mom, I know that some of you have buried children, but as we think about others, there are others that have been there too. And sometimes we become so inward focused. There are other moms that have had less than, less than uh, awesome husbands. They have other moms that have been, had disobedient children. So we consider these witnesses. I think even about the Bible. There are moms who've had less than shining moments. You know, some of you may be feeling guilty this morning because you say, I haven't been the mom I need to be. How many of you as a mom know that your failure is often in front of you? Things that you could have done something different, you didn't. Look, the Bible's chock full of that. What about Rachel helping trick Isaac on Jacob's behalf? Not a good moment for Rachel, right? 
What about James and John's mother? She's my favorite. Jesus has just said, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to get beat and crucified. And James and John's mama comes frolicking up, and she's like, now, right. Now, when you get there, can my boys sit on the right and left, you know? Disregarded everything that Jesus said. And I love that she's here because it's a not-so-shining moment for our mama. You also find in the Bible these witnesses, moms who face difficult situations. The passage that Kevin read, how many of you know it was probably difficult for Hannah to give up Samuel? She had prayed and prayed for a baby, and God gave that baby, and then she gave that baby up. How many of you know it was probably difficult for Eunice and Lois staying faithful despite an unconverted husband? How many of you know that it was extremely difficult for Mary to watch her son hang from a wooden beam and be the sin bearer of the world? Mama, you're not the only one who's been here before. So therefore, since you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, throw off the sin, lay aside the obstacles, and run your race. Run the race that Jesus has for you. Don't look at your situation or your sin. Look at your Savior. So that gives me to the second point of encouragement for you this morning. Your greatest provision is not your spouse. Some of you would say, I know that. Your greatest provision is not your spouse, but your Savior. Your greatest provision is your Savior. It's going to say in verse 2, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Spouses are gifts. At least that's what they're supposed to be, according to the word. But the reality is, in Christ, we have all we need for life and godliness. In Second Peter 1, in Christ, we have all we need for life and godliness. And apart from him, we can do nothing. So I just want to give you three encouragers from this second aspect. As your greatest provision is not your spouse, but your Savior, here's three reminders from the gospel. Number one, Jesus started your faith. Look at what it says in verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder, or the word there is author. In Ephesians 2, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a what? Gift. Friends, your faith is a gift. Jesus started your faith. And I love the picture that we saw earlier in the year. Remember we studied Ruth? How many of you remember when we walked through Ruth? And I love what God does working through these circumstances that even in a foreign land, God allows for this woman. He goes after her so that she will ultimately be in this lineage. Friends, God didn't pursue you any less. If your heart is his, you can know it's because he first pursued you. God created your faith. I want you to hold your place. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. It begins in verse 1, and it says this, Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained, or the word there has the idea of received. Of the three other times it's used, it is an idea of receiving. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. How? By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do we have a faith equal to Peter's? Christ Jesus. He goes on in verse 2 of 2 Peter 1. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through him you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Friends, Jesus started your faith. And look at what he says. I think about when we go out. We make sure we have diapers. We make sure we have sippy cups. We make sure we have all we need, right? And typically Tara makes more sure than I make sure, but we make sure that we have what we need. Here's what I love. Peter writes, he says, Mama, you have all you need for life and godliness. And so if you're struggling, it's not Jesus' fault. 
Jesus has provided all you need. He is all you need. And he's provided, he's granted to you. Don't miss these words. Jesus started your faith. Number two, back in Hebrews 12, Jesus will finish your faith. It says not only looking to Jesus, the founder, but he's also the what? What's the next word there? Perfecter of our faith or finisher of our faith. God has an eternal plan for your life. And this is where we want to really talk about motherhood today. Romans 8.29 says the plan for your life. That plan is that you would ultimately be conformed to the image of Christ. So repeat after me. God's plan, God's eternal plan, is that I would be conformed to Christ. That's God's ultimate plan. He's going to finish this. And that's what Romans 8 and 29 say. Those he foreknew, he predestined. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. This is his plan for your life. His plan is you will look like Jesus. That's his plan. And so that's why you need to understand motherhood is not an end in itself. Motherhood is a means to the end of being further conformed to the image of Christ. Why? Because children and husbands are very useful for sanctification. They will rub you all the wrong ways. And so they are very useful for sanctification. Wendy Alsop had an article this week, and here's what she says. Motherhood is not the greatest good for the Christian woman. Whether you're a mom or not, don't get caught up in sentimentalism that sets it up as some saintly role. The greatest good is being conformed to the image of Christ. Now, motherhood is certainly one of God's primary tools in his arsenal for this purpose for women. But it's not the end itself. Being a mom doesn't make you saintly. Believe me, being a mom exposes all the ways you're a sinner, not a saint. Not being a mom and wanting to be one does too. We may long to get pregnant, looking at motherhood from afar. God sanctifies us through that longing. We may lose a pregnancy or a child and mourn the loss of our motherhood. God conforms us to Christ through that as well. We may have a brood of children of various ages, and heaven knows God roots sin out of our hearts that way. It's all about the greatest good, being conformed to the image of Christ, reclaiming the image of God that he created us to bear through gospel grace. And God uses both the presence and the absence of children in the lives of his daughters as a primary tool of conforming us to Christ. Friends, he's going to finish your faith, and when he finishes it, you're going to look a lot like Jesus. And that's why you can cling to what he says right before that. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Sorry, husbands. Wretched children, struggles, car wrecks, bills, all things. God works together for the good of his children. We've just got to be those who reach out to him. Jesus started your faith. Jesus will finish your faith. And here's the third reminder from the gospel. Jesus will sustain your faith. Verse 2, when you, when you read verse 2, it says this, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Look at the phrase endure. Remember, he's trying to encourage you to endure. And look at what he says. Who, the the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. Now, how many of you know as a mama, if you were to meditate on those little phrases right there, Jesus endured the cross. How many of you know that whatever you're facing that day isn't the worst thing ever? How many of you know it's not the most difficult ever? How many of you know Jesus experienced the most difficult thing? And he overcame And he's promised this, you are going to have trouble in the world, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And in him, we can have what Paul says, we are more than conquerors. He's going to be the one who sustains our faith as we look to him. Remember what Christ endured, and he's telling us to do this in verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such a hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. If you look at your spouse and you look at your kids and you look at your sin day after day after day, you're probably going to quit. 
you're probably going to bail out, and we have enough of those mamas. We need the mamas who look to Jesus, and they endure. Look to Jesus every day, and you will endure. Look to Jesus, and you will keep running. You won't grow weary. You won't become faint-hearted. Apart from him, you won't be able to make it. I was sharing with some people this week. How many of you know Ephesians 5, where it says wives are to do something and husbands are to do something? Wives are supposed to what? What's that big S word we hate? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We got that Eve, the punishment of Eve that raises up in us. Like, I don't want to submit, right? I am woman, right? So wives submit. And then it says husbands lead. And then unfortunately it says as Christ. Well, that's not just, that's an easy bar, you know, right? So we read these and they become very daunting when we read them. But if we would take time to read the verses right before them, it says, be filled with the spirit. Be filled with the spirit. Do you know how you're a wife that submits? You're filled with the spirit. Do you know how you're a husband that leads? You're filled with the Spirit. If you're not filled with the Spirit, you're not going to be able to do all the stuff that comes after that. And so Jesus is your only hope. Here's the greatest promise that I love. Matthew 28, 20. Behold, I am with you, how long? Always, to the very end of the age. Mama, you are not alone. Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you. Here's the other thing. Jesus has nailed every one of your sins to the cross. Every failure as a mom, nailed to the cross. Every failure as a wife, nailed to the cross. Every failure as a daughter of the king, nailed to the cross. Is that not glorious? He's taken it away so we can keep running. I would just close with this picture. Wendy Alsop again says, a mom who fails her children regularly, because that's all of us, Preach the gospel to yourself this day. If you have any grasp on your reality, you're likely painfully aware of every failure you've made with your children. And maybe you're fatigued by the fears of future failure as well. It's okay that your children expose your own sin. In fact, it's the mom who doesn't seem daily aware of her failures that most concerns me. Christ has made the way for you to be at peace. If you sinned against your kids, ask their forgiveness. If you're kicking yourself for your failures, preach God's grace to yourself. Don't learn to live with your sin. Don't embrace it with the attitude, that's just how I am. We do have some people who do that. But don't deny it either. Be honest about it. You sinned, you confess, God forgives. You get up and walk forward in confidence. It's called gospel grace. And that's the legacy you leave to your children. There are no perfect moms. And there are no perfect dads. What we have to model for our children is clinging to the grace of God. And needing him for every single aspect. This is what we want to pass on. The great theologian Ann Landers once received a letter. And in it a housewife said this. She said, I'm tired of people thinking that I'm just a housewife who sits and watches soap operas all day. Which she won't be able to do with a couple of them on ABC because they've been canceled. Which is good for all of us. But days of our lives is still rolling. So here's what she says. I'm a wife, mother, friend. Confidant, personal advisor, lover, referee, peacemaker, housekeeper, laundress, chauffeur, interior decorator, gardener, painter, wallpaperer, dog groomer, veterinarian, manicurist, barber, seamstress, appointment manager, financial planner, bookkeeper, money manager, personal secretary, teacher, disciplinarian, entertainer, psychoanalyst, nurse, diagnostician, public relations expert, dietitian and nutritionist, baker, chef, fashion coordinator, and letter writer for both sides of the family, 
I am also a travel agent, speech therapist, plumber, and automobile maintenance and repair expert. And when she wrote this in 1988, she says, from the studies done, it would cost more than $75,000 a year to replace me. She said, and I took time out of my busy day to write this to you. (laughs) Mama, I would say that if you are all those things and more, you can do none of them without Jesus. You can do none of them without Jesus. So as we close, Stephanie's going to come, and we're going to have a time to respond. And listen, I want to open it up for a time for prayer this morning. I'm going to ask Mr. Al and Miss Mary Gaden to come as well. And I'd like uh, Mr. Tim and Miss Lynn, Kevin and Katie. I'd like Tara. Let's just have some men and some women that are both available because dads, uh, maybe you're not leading. Maybe you're not washing mama with the word. You want to pray with one of our men this morning. And ladies, maybe, maybe you're here and you want to pray with one of these ladies about these situations that we've mentioned. All of them that are very real. I can tell you this. We do not want any of you loading your kids up in a minivan, driving off a boat ramp because you've given up hope. This is not a perfect church. This is a church that relies on God's grace. And the only way we can do that is we're open, we're honest with one another, we pray for one another, and that's my favorite part of Hebrews 10. It says, consider how you may stir one another to love and good works. And so this morning, friends, I've put it all on the table. My one hope for you, Mom, is to stir you to Jesus. Jesus is all you need to be the mom that you need to be. And so as I pray, I'll ask these others to come forward. And then after we pray, I'll ask you to stand. And maybe you want to pray over some specific aspect of this. We want to give you that chance. Father, we thank you for today. God, we do thank you for moms. We thank you that in your sovereign wisdom, you place us in specific homes. And you never make a mistake with that. You know exactly which home you're putting us in. And all of that is in accordance with your great plans. Father, we thank you that your plan from eternity past is that those that are your sons and daughters, that we would be conformed to Christ Jesus. Father, what a glorious plan. Unfortunately, sometimes the things that you use to conform us to Christ are very painful. Sometimes they're in our own home. Father, sometimes we don't readily embrace the sanctification that comes through our spouse and our child. Sometimes we know that we're supposed to love our neighbor and we forget that our closest neighbor is the ones that we live under the same roof with. And we're willing to display all kinds of stuff for people who we don't know but are failing to extend the gospel to our own family. Father, there are mothers probably in this room today that are hurting for multiple reasons. Maybe failures as a mother. Maybe children that aren't walking in the way. Maybe husbands they're burdened for. Father, your word says to cast all our care upon you because you care for us. Your word says to be anxious about nothing, but through prayer and supplication to bring our requests to you and that we would find that your peace would guard our hearts and minds. So I pray this morning, we have an opportunity here to pray. God, I pray that these women would realize their greatest struggle is not the spouse. It's not the children. It's their own sin. And that these women would put away sin put away obstacles that are keeping them from running in Christ. I pray they would set their eyes on Jesus and every day they would consider what he went through as we're told here in Hebrews and in Christ we would endure for he is with us every day. Father would you conform us more to the image of your son Jesus. He is our only hope. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand with us. These are here. Stephanie will lead us in a song. Look, you want to come and pray. Here's an opportunity here this morning.